left has us all wrong. We don't want to simply turn the clock back to a time when the status quo of elitist deep state bureaucrats dominated us. We want to restore the republic our founders intended, an America that is of, by, and for the people. An America that abides by its constitution without fail. Coming to you from the land of common sense and American pride. The Patriot Review with Jeff Wagner starts now. Hello, Patriots. Welcome to episode 239 of the Patriot Review. have a really good interview for you today. Uh, J. Michael Waller, who is an author of a book called Big Intel, is here, and he is extremely knowledgeable. I had a really good interview with him. I actually just finished it. So it is about uh, 46 minute, minutes, so it'll fill up the whole show, so I'm not going to do any stories today. Um, I will, of course, be back with those tomorrow, most likely. And um, there's a lot going on, as you know. So we have watched, the American people have watched, as have other uh, Western uh, civilization countries, like Australia, for example, during COVID, and Canada, come to mind, and other countries. We've watched our freedoms being eroded, and we've watched the three-letter alphabet soup agencies uh, or those that do the same functions in other countries, violate the rights of the citizenry. And we saw this with the, the lockdown for COVID. Uh, we see it today in the disparate uh, treatment of of uh, people who have the wrong political ideas, according to the leftist fascist uh, globalist. I mean, they're all basically the same group, the deep state, the, the uh, folks who want to have a one-world government and uh, they're all allied together. And we have seen the difference in treatment between, let's say, a J6er and um, another J6er who happens to be an FBI plant, according to uh, according to all the, the sources that uh, have vetted him. Uh, Ray Epps, of course, I'm talking about. But we've seen the difference in treatment from a mom who cares enough to, to step up and say something at a school board meeting because her children are being hypersexualized, uh, as opposed to a mom who wants to have her kids um, go through the whole transgender the transgender process, and um, it's it's really gotten to the point where it's it's quite obvious, and we now we know they know and they don't care, and uh, that's that's um, kind of what's led us to this point is is what this show is about. So. I'll take a quick break, and then I'll be right back with uh, J. Michael Waller to talk about that topic. Be right back.
I'd like to welcome to the Patriot Review for the first time, J. Michael Waller, a former CIA operative and author of the book Big Intel, How the CIA and FBI Went from Cold War Heroes to Deep State Villains. I personally think a better title would be Cold War Heroes to Deep State Zeros, but hey, you can't have everything, right? So, <laughs> first of all, Mike, welcome. I'm glad you're here and you have an impressive background. You... Uh, you worked for the CIA in Central America. You did a groundbreaking scholarship after the Soviet Union's breakup. That would be very interesting to talk about for hours alone. But uh, you have really written a great book, and Tucker Carlson uh, you know, plugged the book, and he describes the book as, we kind of all know now that uh, these agencies have been weaponized against us, but your book explains exactly how we got here, which is... Uh, a fascinating story because so many people, I think, are taken by surprise by this. But it's it's been rather gradual, as we were discussing before we came on the interview. So, so I'm looking forward to this. Welcome, and um, I'd like to get into first if you want to just shed a little bit about your background and what led you to write this in the first place. It was an odd background to have. So I started out as a kid in uh, in high school. And I was duped into getting involved in the anti-nuclear movement. And I really thought it was for the environment because I grew out and grew up in the woods and, and liked to go fishing with my dad and grandpa out in the ocean. And I was told that this was going to kill the fish beds, the, the nuclear plant. So I got involved and quickly realized that this was a, as, as the organizers uh, told me in, in a struggle session, meaning they had taken me aside to sort of break me down and get me to criticize myself and to, to break my resistance to what they were doing. They said, look, kid, this is, uh, we're out here, not for the environment, we're out here to overthrow American capitalism. <laughs> they just came right out and said it. Oh, that's after, after a fashion, yeah. yeah. And, and I was 15 years old, and that just, that just upset me a lot. So I, I, got, yeah. I stopped getting involved with the anti-nuclear movement, and I realized what communist front organizations were, and I realized what people with with false motives were and how it was to find some innocent person and dupe them into getting involved in a what they thought was a good cause and then they're being used for a, a double purpose so i thought i'm gonna i'm gonna fight these guys well yeah that brings that brings more recent events like the summer the so-called summer of love with blm and antifa into into my mind right away where these uh you know i mean it, like you said the cause is good but the but the um the application or the initiation of this idea has turned into something rather evil and the demise of not only America, but Western civilization. And I think, you know, I've been talking on this show that that really is their target, right? Because Western civilization, uh, we're the only ones that can stand in their way of succeeding with this. And that's, in my opinion, why they're, why they're doing this and attacking specifically the United States. But so when you're 15 years old and you're told that, um, you know, what was the next thing that happened? What led you eventually to get directly involved in the CIA like you did? So this was in the late 70s when all of this happened. So I was a college freshman in 1980. Cast my vote for Ronald Reagan from my dorm, uh, three blocks from the White House at George Washington University. And I was interning for my U.S. Senator. So when you're an intern on Capitol Hill, you get to meet whoever you want and you go around to network and so forth. And in the course of this, got involved in the College Republican National Committee and Young Americans for Freedom 
and then became a leader nationally in that movement to support President Reagan's strategy to contain and take down the Soviet Union and all of its allies around the world. And this was a really attractive thing to be on. This is what I wanted to do, and I understood it now, having been duped. And I and I also understood well-meaning people who join left-wing causes because they sound right, whether it's the environment, whether it's equality, whether it's fighting bigotry and racism, whether it's you know any any range of things. How good people get involved, and a lot of them then get really caught up in it, and they turn a blind eye or they simply are completely duped into becoming hardcore beyond whatever cause it is. So now, so you can predict now if someone is militant in, in, in anti-racism, in quotes, uh, and they're BLM, and then they'll be okay with Antifa, and then they'll be involved with supporting Hamas terrorism or whatever other kind of thing. You can kind of predict the pattern in which they'll go. Some of them will always be dupes. Some of them become willing collaborators with 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 this extremism. So once you can get into the heads of people like that, having been around them as in a formative age as a teenager, you can you you can read them a lot better. You can even relate to them when you talk to them. So I got involved in this and and infiltrating left-wing groups as a part of this college experience and in student journalism. So Anyway, through a bunch of connections through my internship, I knew people in the Reagan White House who were working, who were liaising with conservatives. And they uh, and I said, I'd like to go to Afghanistan with Soldier Fortune magazine as a student journalist. I met a guy from Soldier Fortune and he invited me in. And they said, you know, this wouldn't be a good investment of your future. Why don't you go to Central America and we can help arrange it for you? So this well, cool. This was a great opportunity because I spoke Spanish. And. Uh, they introduced me to a White House official who was actually a CIA officer, and he befriended me. And through his connections, I got involved with working for him, but directly for CIA Director William Casey, who was setting up a parallel private intelligence network that he was funding out of his pocket. He was a very wealthy man because well, he didn't trust so. the bias and the blindness inside the CIA. And that was back in the 70s already. This is in the early 80s. Early 80s. Yeah, because you, you went to college starting in 80, you said. Sorry. So so you're in Central America. You're now you know, a CIA operative. And what was the point in time that you started noticing the the path to where we are today? Were you at, were you at the CIA at the time that you noticed that? Or was this afterwards and more of a reflection on your part? Well, it was, it was immediate in that I was told don't have any contact with any CIA personnel. So I was not a CIA employee. I was working privately for the CIA director. I didn't realize it at the time. It wasn't that I was duped. It was that, well, it might have been. I mean, but I was, I was, I, it, I was set up through a, through a friend of Casey's who I didn't know was a friend of Casey's, an old timer who had served in the Office of Strategic Services during World War II. This was the famous OSS. And he gave me walking around money. He wanted to know more about me. He helped me get arranged for things and then helped me end up getting uh, what I later learned long, a long time after was my cryptonym, my code name from CIA Director Casey himself. He said, go to such and such a church at this time, stand here and presto, lo and behold, who walks up after church but CIA Director Casey after someone had, had identified me. He mumbled something at me. It turned out which I didn't understand then, it was my cryptonym. 
And, and then I never saw him again. And later found out from his son-in-law who had done work for him in the same privately funded network at the same time that Casey did this often and he did it out of his pocket so he wouldn't have to report to Congress what he was doing. And he couldn't be forced to testify before Congress about what happened in church. And he went to church every day. So, so that was, how, <laughs> yeah. it was pretty cool. A devoutly <laughs> religious man. <laughs> yeah. I thought, wow, it's kind of a weird way to get me to go back to church or whatever. I didn't know. Yeah, why, right. so I just, okay, fine. I'll, I'll do as they, as this old guy suggests. Cause it's a week before I'm about to do something really dumb. Cause I dropped out of army ROTC before even going to basic training or even f- officially signing up to go with the Contras in Nicaragua. And, it was oh, neat. It was okay. fun. But you don't realize what a stupid thing this is when you're 21 years old and you have had no military training at all and you don't know what you're getting into. So I thought, well, maybe he's getting me to church just in case, you know, something terrible happens. OK, I better go. And yeah, so that was how it all started. So but I realized early on that it was that there was a big problem with the CIA because uh, Casey was relying on outsiders to discover information that the CIA for some reason couldn't find or wouldn't find. And then to analyze that, which they either couldn't or wouldn't analyze. So in one specific example, it was Soviet support for international terrorism. In my case, my job was to identify or to discover, identify, and then document Soviet support for communist guerrilla movements in Latin America. Interesting. So the money, you know, when uh, Rumsfeld was, you know, still in D.C. and and um, under George W. Bush, he had come out. He made a speech. He talked about all the the dollar, all the missing money, right? And um, so now everybody talks as though all that missing money is going into black programs. Is that the actual truth of the matter? Uh, with what you believe it to be and could Casey have been tapping into some of that money or was he, was he actually taking it from his, his, the money that he actually earned personally? Yeah. Well, if it was a real black operation or uh, a real covert direct CIA operation, there would be some kind of bureaucracy involved and some kind of stronger support system for the people out in the field. And it would have been, a lot more money than I ever saw. It was just a few thousand bucks over over time for me. Okay, so he, he so he, he do, really did do this because, in a sense, he couldn't depend on his own agency to do the right thing, could he? Exactly. Yeah. So that was back way back in the '80s, and I think I, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm shocked by it, but I think it just emphasizes what you said earlier, and that is that you know we move gradually and gradually down the road. And for those those folks, my viewers that are out there, I kind of have likened it to our our societal norms being attacked the same way, right? It's it's also just a little bit at a time when you say things like, well, you know, it's not a big deal to allow this, and then it's not a big deal to support this or that, and then before you know it, here we sit with you know the Super Bowl, for example, which is more about more about uh, race and reparations than it is about, you know, football, right? So it's, I think people are kind of shocked to see where America is at these days. But given your history, are you surprised? Not in retrospect. It shouldn't have been a surprise, but I wasn't prepared for it. 
I was just a kid. But when when right. later on over the years, I would meet other people who who were in a parallel position as mine, but it was more semi-official. So it was a it was somebody at a think tank who was also an author and a scholar. And then he he was um, contracted by the State Department to collect his own information and write from open source material about Soviet support for terrorism. And he did a, he did a marvelous job, but I didn't know till many years later that he too was also reporting to Bill Casey, but he was on contract with the state department. So that would have been a collection activity. They call it intelligence collection. And so you find the material out there through whatever means you can, you provide it to a CIA officer and then it's analyzed. Is it legitimate? Does it fit with what we know? Is it something new that we don't know? How can we use it and what does it mean? And then that's, that is turned into um, a, an analytical product for decision makers, like for the president and his designees, so they can make decisions. Then there's the separate side, which is the operations side, where you make things happen. So I got involved in the, in the intelligence collection side. To find, so I was finding Soviet bloc weaponry, um, identifying the markings on them. Identifying, uh, you know, I didn't know where the stuff came from. I just found it, found the, the the stampings on the on the receivers of the weapons or on the crates that they were they were coming in, and the uh, they were all in Cyrillic, or um, or um, uh, Arabic or some other language. And um, where did this come from? And then I, I had no idea, so I would send that back, and then the CIA people would figure out where it came from. And through that, and then I brought back. Uh, captured equipment or, you know, equipment that we came across. And then that was used to, so that President Reagan could demonstrate Soviet support for these communist insurgencies in the region. Okay. Because the liberals were denying this at the time, saying, oh, it's just a people's revolution against American imperialism. It's it's purely indigenous. Yeah. Right. yeah, you get brand new crates of Soviet bloc weapons that were purely indigenous to, you know, Nicaraguan hillbillies. No, 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 no. Yeah, right. Well, you know, it, even today, I mean, even today, that the demonstration of, of the task that you're actually describing is a is very is alive and well, of course, because one of the news stories that came out recently was um, the markings of one of the missiles that was used, I think, in Yemen, and it was from North Korea, right? So, I mean, it was it's if I'm grasping what you're saying, it's kind of the same type of function where you you are determining the source of of weapons. In order to know who the real players are behind the scenes, is that is that fair to say is what you're explaining? Sure, but then in the international arms market too, they might buy say Romanian AK-47s, but it's not the Romanian sure. government that's doing it. It's the Romanians right. are selling it to a middleman someplace else, who's then selling it to another middleman who sells it to the communists or maybe to the CIA. Who knows? So my job was just to find out where this was coming from. And it was all proven to be Soviet bloc material. And even in El Salvador, I didn't discover it, but somebody else did. They discovered some M16s. Well, the Salvadoran army didn't have M16s. Those were the people we were supporting. No one in the region had M16s. So where do these M16s come from? And the serial numbers were drilled out of the receivers. So you couldn't tell. But then on five or so of them, the serial numbers remained. And they were traced back to the U.S. Marines in Da Nang, South Vietnam back in the 60s. Wow. Now, we left 400,000 weapons behind in Vietnam, you know, uh -huh. like Biden did in Afghanistan. So, uh -huh. so then a decade <laughs> or more later, two decades later, they turn up in Central America in communist hands. So we knew then, okay, the Vietnamese government had, had uh, which was Soviet-allied government, had captured our weapons, cleaned them, 
packed them in Greece, stored them, and then made use, you know, gave the Soviet Union use of them to ship to uh, to communist revolutionary movements abroad. In your opinion, why why would we leave weapons in either case? I mean, to me, uh, you know, I've always uh, look at I look at that situation in Afghanistan, and I say that actually Biden committed treason by doing that because is providing aid and comfort to the enemy and the enemy i would not be surprised at all if some of those weapons were weren't used in the attack on israel uh you know can't prove that but it seems like there's a there's a lot of stuff that's around there's a lot of um there's a lot of evil around the things that we do deliberately and we we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot and i wonder just how deliberate that is especially these days because I really do think that they want a, a one-world globalist government. I think that's their objective. Um, but is there is there a is there any other reason that's not a nefarious reason as to why they would leave weapons behind? In the case of South Vietnam, it's because we armed our allies, which was the South Vietnamese Army, and the South Vietnamese right. Army collapsed, and, and we abandoned them, left them to fight for themselves. So they would naturally have these weapons after we, sure. our forces left in 73. So 1975, everything collapses. So the South Vietnamese army is taken pretty much intact. So they would have those weapons. It so would, completely different than Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, we, per, we, we, not only, we not only armed our allies who we abandoned, but we left huge stockpiles of weapons for the jihadis to just take. And we knew right. we. Well, you and I knew from just watching TV, right? But think of what people in government knew that the jihadis would get these weapons because if you're going to abandon a country to the Taliban, obviously the Taliban is going to take those weapons, which they, they did. We made no right. attempt to evacuate them. Then you have to figure out, well, why is this? Now, you had you brought up a reason there uh, of, of people with a with a supranational you know supranational reason I mean a globalist reason or you know anti-american reason to leave these weapons behind and that could be something uh, if you look at Afghanistan who was running the policies there and if you see who was leading Biden's team like the 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 uh, special assistant to the president for intelligence programs his other title was National Security Council Director for Intelligence Programs. He was in charge of all intelligence programs worldwide. His name is Maher Al-Bitar. He is a Palestinian American who worked for that UN agency that's been arming and helping Hamas. He was in the Biden White House. He was, pardon, he was in the Obama White House running Israel and Palestine affairs on the National Security Council. Then he was Adam Schiff's chief counsel on the House Intelligence Committee. Okay, so he's got this top secret clearances already. Then he was a lawyer on the Trump impeachment committee, and then Biden brings him back to the White House to run intelligence programs, all of them. That's crazy. And he's, he's, he supports <laughs> Hamas. That explains all the, the misinformation coming out around, you know, as well. I mean, they they have this narrative that they're trying to push, and, and the the anti-Semitism has raised to, I think, probably the highest heights since World War II, you know, that it's in this country, anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, th but then you look, and it's not even bigotry and prejudice. It is siding with an international terrorist organization that has been so designated 
under Democrat and Republican presidents for years. Yeah. So the other the other event, and maybe maybe you don't know the answer. We're going to throw it out there anyway because it makes me think of the, of this. Um, lots of talk about Benghazi also really being about about arms and um, is that from your judgment or from what you know about it is that also accurate is that another example of of this uh, these dark operations going wrong well dark operations can always go wrong and and it's it's okay because you're doing something really risky and something bad's going to happen the real uh, the real bad part of this is how the how they were abandoned, how our people in Bengal yeah. were abandoned by our national leadership. And then the whole thing was covered up. And it was covered up for reasons that we we understand why it was covered up, but we don't know for a fact why it was covered up. So you can't prove it, say, in a court of law or, or you know, but we all know why. So... So it's a gray area in terms of knowledge. And then people say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory or whatever else. Because why? Well, because they're covering up the facts so that we'll never know the real reasons for what happened there. So but I was, um, I'm, I'm, I'm friends with people who were close friends of Ambassador Stevens, who was murdered there and, and they're on the inside. And they know this was a cover up for something that was being done by Hillary Clinton at the time. She was operationally in charge of, of this and her group that's now involved in a lot of things in the Biden administration. And they were doing it for reasons that are remain either secret or unclear, but it was not in the American interest for them to be doing it. They were supporting the Muslim Brotherhood in Libya. They right. were trying to help the Muslim Brotherhood take control of Libya. And the Muslim Brotherhood, well, the Palestinian Muslim Brotherhood is called Hamas. The Libyan Muslim Brotherhood has a different name. But they they don't always operate violently. They they're networked here across the United States, but they're not breaking the law here because they don't want to get busted. These are Hillary Clinton's allies. They're Barack Obama's allies. Mm -hmm. They're Joe Biden's allies. He's got Muslim Brotherhood all, all supporting his campaign. So so then when you see these elements of different um, parts of the equation, say around the world, you can you can then figure out the equation and you can understand a lot of what's happening yeah and it's it's uh sh shocking and sickening um yeah. i think the you know and also you know people look at the people look at everything that's happened around them and i use the word treason and i really believe that it was treason i believe hillary clinton's sale of about 20 percent of her uranium was treason i believe her intelligence gathering and the off-site server and all that i mean but nothing ever happens to these people. And we look at we look at our agencies, you know, and it's it's like the DOJ. We say, well, you know, why are you going into Mar-a-Lago when the president has a Presidential Records Act protection? And then you come back after you're, you continue to attack him, you continue to drag him into court, and you look back and you have Biden who had absolutely no protection whatsoever to have the documents that he had, and Hillary Clinton the same thing, and they skate. So it really emphasizes, and you make a point of it, that there's a two-tier two justice system, and, and you, know, you make it a point to say that Marxists have really taken over these agencies, right? So the three-letter alphabet soup agencies, you know, um, they don't work for Americans anymore, do they? 
Hey Patriots, it's Jeff Wagner. Let's face it, it's getting harder and harder to make ends meet. It's only going to get worse. This inflation is going to continue. As a matter of fact, our dollar is in jeopardy of even existing with the crazies that want to go to the digital currency to control us all. You can go to Kirk Elliott, Ph.D., dot com slash the Patriot Review. Get all kinds of free, great information and invest in gold and silver for your future. Our world is full of electromagnetic fields that even though we can't see them, are affecting our bodies, our sleep, and even our ability to think clearly. The advent of 5G is only making this worse. There is an answer. Visit Fix the World by clicking the link in the Patriot Review show description below to view natural products that can actually protect you from EMF and 5G and even improve your sleep. Skeptical? Get the free Dangers of EMF Radiation ebook free by clicking on its direct link also in the show description. Here's a nutritional hack anyone can master. Replace a meal a day with our kingdom feel. Or if you're a moth from the gym, Add a shake to your daily meal plan. Our unique meal shakes are balanced, low glycemic, rich in fiber, 20 grams of clean protein, essential vitamins and minerals, healthy fat, and organic fruits and vegetables. Kingdom Fuel is vegan with a complete amino acid profile. Bottom line, it's a simple start to a transformed life. No gimmicks, just results. Start today. Hey, Patriots, you can save up to 66% at MyPillow.com when you use the code TPR. That stands for The Patriot Review. That's TPR or call 800-519-9927. That's 800-519-9927. I use these products myself. I can tell you they are the best quality bar none. So go ahead, use the code TPR and get up to 66% off right now. Coming to you from the land of common sense and American pride. Not a unicorn or rainbow in sight. Welcome back to the Patriot Review with Jeff Wagner. No, they have... They don't believe in our country anymore. They believe in a different kind of America. They don't believe in American founding principles. They don't believe in founding fathers. They don't believe in the Judeo-Christian ethic that created the whole way our country was built. They they view religion as oppressive. They view the original founding principles as oppressive. That's why they say the Constitution is a living document, so they can make it mean whatever they want it to mean. Family is oppressive. The parents are oppressive. The children should be liberated from their parents by the loving hand of central government. Yeah, right. So they want to, they're there saying they want, we want to tear your families apart when they say they're not your children. They're right. everyone's children. Yeah. So they want to tear your families apart and people don't understand this. Well, this is what we see in public, whether it's on Disney, whether it's in the department of education or the public schools, or whether it's in the military and military recruitment, it's happening in our CIA, in our FBI, 
in federal law enforcement overall and our whole intelligence community, the exact same thing is going on. They are taking ideological control of the instruments of power in our country. In your book, um, so one of the descriptions of your book says, in this uh, revealing and thoroughly documented book, a former operative for the CIA traces the origins of big intel to a loose network of Marxist academic agitators known as the Frankfurt School. So talk to us about the Frankfurt School. I think Frankfurt School, I think um, people are probably, if they follow this kind of stuff, are familiar with the Bilderberg group and they're familiar with, you know, the Illuminati uh, uh, concept and everything else. But what is the, uh, what's the Frankfurt group and how does that fit in? So the Frankfurt School itself was set up in Frankfurt, Germany in the 1920s. And it was designed by the Soviets, early Soviets. So they had just had the Bolshevik Revolution. World War I was over. Germany was a defeated, demoralized, humiliated power that was losing, had lost confidence in itself. The German people were divided against one another. And you had the monarchists, because the monarchy had been overthrown. You had different states within Germany that had had independent identities for years, and they were together for a short while under the German Empire, and they're wondering, should should we be independent of central Germany? All these things breaking society apart, loss of loss of confidence in religion, terrible military losses during the war, loss of confidence in authority, all these other things, plus a cultural revolution happening. So this was the age of bohemianism, pretty much like the 60s in America, but this was in the 20s in Germany. And uh, so so the Soviets idea was we can't have an armed revolution in Europe and elsewhere because it's the workers aren't going to rise up. So how else can we tear them down? Let's rip apart their culture. Let's support all the extremist groups to tear apart German culture, to, to, to split open these fissures that are already occurring in German society and to make Germans reject all of their heritage. Germany wasn't a bad country then. We think of Germ you know, the war fighting Germany as Hitler Germany, but the World War One Germany, mm-hmm. even though it was our enemy in the war, it was just another European power. It didn't have evil motives, it was just on the other side of a war. So it was Hitler who changed that to make Germany proud, to make one Reich for a thousand years to make Germany great. So he had this this agenda on on the one hand, his national socialist agenda. It was socialist for Germany. Versus the international socialist agenda, the globalist socialist agenda, which was the Bolshevik agenda for socialist revolution worldwide. So Hitler's slogan in English would have been one Reich, you know, one one ruling nation, mm-hmm. um, one people, one leader under Hitler. So that was very nation centric. So the Frankfurt School was let's tear out the center of Germany. Let's just rip out the floorboards of Germany make the whole thing collapse, and then we, the communists, will come in and take over all the institutions. Well, Hitler had the same idea. So when push came to shove, the Nazis beat out the communists on this, so they fled, including the Frankfurt School. The Frankfurt School was incubating this the whole time. But instead of having some, you know, if you've read Marx or Lenin, it's tough stuff to read. It's a misery just to mm-hmm. read the stuff. And it's all sloganeering, and it's all, there's a strategy behind it, but it's dull. And, and and it demands a lot of personal discipline. But blend that with a sexual revolution going on in Germany now. 
a rejection of all the oppressive things that would, you know, all the stuff we want to do if we don't have moral boundaries yeah, or legal boundaries. Right. We want to do these things. It is moral boundaries that hold us back and the legal boundaries that hold us back when the moral ones don't. Well, it's the same thing going on there. So let's, uh, you know, sex and drugs and let's all the Sigmund, Sigmund Freud's big at this time and, and Freudian psychology, sexual psychology. That is. So think of sexual Marxism like cultural Marxism. Now you're weaponizing sex against society as a sign of rebellion. But, well, what a great way to have a revolution. This is pretty cool. Let's get involved. So they sexualize this. They build a whole political theory around this sexual revolution and Marxism as a as rebellion against culture to destroy traditional Judeo-Christian culture and all the norms around that. Playbook sounds familiar. Yeah. Well, what did they do? The Frankfurt School mm -hmm. people, they fled the Nazi Nazi Germany. They went to other parts of Europe and a number of the key ones came to America through American do-gooders. So let's bring these refugees in. Yeah, refugees who want to overthrow our society. Yeah, let's bring them all in. Well, what's we what happened, what's happening what's happening right now, right? In 1932, 1933, throughout that period. And these are brilliant minds in terms of uh, creativity and, and capacity and IQ. They're just twisted minds. But they came into Columbia University, which had the nation's biggest teacher's college. So imagine these types of, they're loyal to the Soviet Union. There's a lot of these people in the Frankfurt School were Soviet agents. And those who were not were still communists who would do the bidding of Soviet agents or do something that would have the same outcome as the Soviets wanted to have. So they might not have liked Stalin, but they had the same end game, which is overthrow the United States government and impose a communist regime in the United States. And here it was, you know, people like Bill Ayers, right? The Weather Underground. And all of a sudden he's a university professor and people like him are, are, spreading the same or indoctrinating the same way that it sounds like had happened in the past right i mean it's it's uh, uh it, i think if it if it wasn't for our universities and our and now going all the way down even to you know grade school indoctrinating people into this way of thinking and if it wasn't for a media that you know is basically taking orders from these folks instead of reporting what the news actually is and allowing people to see the truth. Um, if those two things were changed, how likely would it be that we'd be in this position that we're in right now? In your opinion? Well, we'd be, we'd be very different if the Frankfurt School agents had never come here because what did they do when they first arrived? at Columbia University. It was a the spouse of a Soviet military intelligence officer who negotiated with Columbia University to house the Frankfurt School. Now back then the spouses worked in teams. So they so the one doing the negotiation was also working for Soviet intelligence. But the Columbia University of or Columbia University had the nation's premier teachers college. So see the geometric multiplication here. Teach yeah. the teachers, spread them across the country, K through 12. And then what did they do in New York? They teamed up with the head of a big teachers union called the National Education Association. Brought him to the Soviet Union for a tour. He was not a Stalinist. He was not a Communist Party member. But he wrote a six-article series in the New Republic back in the 1930s praising Stalin's education system and saying that this was needed for America. 
Now, the NEA has never renounced any of this. They say it's all McCarthyism or conspiracy theory, but you can find the old New Republic articles easy enough. And he was doing this and he didn't stray from that. He just didn't say, didn't have any rhetoric beyond that, saying that he wanted to replicate it here. But that's the type of thing they were trying to hybridize into the American educational system. It came through the NEA starting on its own, fortified by the Frankfurt School. So then you brought up the name Bill Ayers, the new left weather underground figure. He got his political theory from the Frankfurt School, from Herbert Marcuse, who was one of these German communists who came to New York set up camp to create a whole intellectual philosophy that was different from the Stalinist philosophy because it was interesting. It was fun. It was cool. It was responding to societal changes and it had a whole new way of bringing about revolution in a way that wouldn't be a violent civil war in a country, but it would be a sub-violent or say a semi-violent social civil war. So they tied with armed radical groups like the Weather Underground, but they also gave meaning to those groups. Because a lot of those groups were just out there as yahoos just doing revolutionary stuff because it was fun or cool or rebellious or whatever. But they burned out really quickly. So for any revolutionary movement, you need a theoretical base. You need a philosophical base. So people know how to think, know how to look at the world, know how to look at their role in the world. And they can do things without being told. So this then becomes, it's not a conspiracy theory in that or a conspiracy fact in that. Everyone's getting together and planning all this. It's developing a state of mind among people so that they just go out and do things like Antifa does things or like the jihadists mm-hmm. do things. So Bill right. Ayers is one of these people and his wife, Bernadine Dorn, is one of these people. Well, who do they take in after his arrival in <laughs> Chicago as a community? Yeah, community? exactly. And yeah. they keep him in his living room and they work his campaigns and they teach him. But he, he had already read Marcuse, the same philosopher from the Frankfurt School, and he had already embraced Marcuse as a as an intellectual hero of his and Occidental College yeah and in Occidental College he studied he said he studied Marxist Marxism to to pick up girls really (laughs) who's ever done that so he was internalizing all this so then he becomes perfectly at home with these weather underground people who as you noted had become laundered now with academic degrees just like Angela Davis did Remember, she bought the shotgun that was used to murder that judge. Mm-hmm. And then she got off and then she got a, a PhD in, in communist East Germany. And now she's viewed on the left as a, a great hero of black liberation and women's liberation and progressivism and love and all this stuff. And she's still, a, you know, she ran twice for communist party candidate for vice president of the United States. So she was still a controlled Soviet asset. Uh, even through the uh, well into the 80s, if not longer. Yeah. Then she got Putin's TV channel to tell her followers in in 2020, say, we don't like the guy. He's not a revolutionary like us, but we have to support Joe Biden because we're going to get more out of him than anybody else. <laughs> He's a puppet. I mean, he can barely put two sentences together. Yeah. Um, it's w- one thing, too, that that I know in, in your, your talking there, uh, the idea of conspiracy theories and me, people like me, people like you, people like us that bring up all these events or, you know, what, what has happened to our education system, or we talk about COVID and its design purpose or, or whatever, 
we get labeled conspiracy theorists and nut jobs. Yet you brought up probably one of the most uh, hated, despised conspiracy theorists of the left, Senator Joseph McCarthy, who it turns out was right. <laughs> right? I mean, it, I say the difference between conspiracy uh, theory and fact is is two months, I say, six months. Basically, it's time, right? So it seems like time and time again we're proven right, but we never gain traction. And again, I think that, that blame is at the feet of the media because they don't, they never report the real truth, do they? They're they're bought and paid for, controlled. And um, where do they fall in as far as the timeline goes where you, um, you talk about uh, the FBI. I want to try to find this wording in here. Uh, you talk about the CIA going down, right? And then you talk about the FBI taking longer. Um, but the, the media, when, when did that officially flop? When does the media become, you know, the American Pravda? Well, they started at about the time of the Frankfurt School in America. If we think of Walter Durante at the New York Times, who, who got a, you know, huge journalistic awards for his reporting from Stalin's Soviet Union. He was a Stalin agent. So that we had Soviet agents in the media from the 1920s or 1930s onward to the point where now one of the most prestigious awards in journalism is the uh, I.F. Stone Award. I.F. Stone was a journalist who taught other journalists. He was a really beloved figure, but he was a KGB agent since <laughs> right, at least the 1950s. <laughs> <laughs> you, say, uh, you say the subversion of the FBI took longer impeded for a time by the, the Bureau's staunchly anti-communist director, J. J. Edgar Hoover, another another figure who is despised by the left and look at, looked at as a serious oppressor, right? Yet the thing that always floors me is, you know, they, the government today has our border wide open. We see all these military-aged men coming from China, from African countries, from, from com countries that hate us. They're flat out our enemies, and we see... You know, thousands of them crossing every week. And, um, you know, the I, I don't understand how the American people can't see what's coming. And you have a very stark warning in here about, you know, things are going to get worse, basically. Right. So what um, what do you think is the 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 thing that has to happen in order for us to save our country? Oh, it'll have to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. But you once know, it gets worse, think of what the reaction is going to be to that, it, because it's going to be too late to do something in a in an orderly way. But when, when you think of it, when you have Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, coming out and giving a speech after the Hamas attack, saying, I'm the, you know, the highest ranking Jew who's ever been elected as the Senate Majority Leader. And I really feel this personally. I take this genocide personally. And I think, you know, we all have to get together and fight it. But is he going after the Hamas networks here using his power as Senate Majority yeah. Leader or his influence? Is he telling the president we have to crack down on them? Is he telling the FBI, I expect to see more from the Bureau on this because your, your, your boogaloo type, you know, witch hunts have found nobody 
and and the people you've busted are essentially losers who were for the most part set up by controlled FBI assets to do to commit crimes they would never have done on their own. So where's the FBI spending its resources? So you've got an organized Muslim Brotherhood campaign in America that's supporting Hamas. Have you heard Chuck Schumer denounce this? Of course not. I hear him on the steps of the Supreme Court threatening the justices. Yeah, yeah. Right. Threatening so, personally. Yeah, exactly. But imagine he had he has to defend the Michigan Senate seat this year if he wants to stay on as majority leader. Well, that means the whole Muslim Brotherhood networks across Michigan who will turn people out either to support you or to make life miserable for your opponent or mm -hmm. to make life miserable for you if you don't support them. So he won't do that. So if you have this guy who is now wrapping himself in victimhood on the one hand, but is supportably silent on the other hand about these Hamas networks, you know how deep the rot is. And he's the same one who said when Trump was president, he said, you know, when Trump said, we've got a problem with our FBI and intelligence services, they're turning against the country, they're turning against the American people. And Schumer made that famous warning. If you go mm -hmm. after them, they have seven ways from Sunday to go after you. So you have the highest elected Democrat then in as Senate Majority Leader when Trump was president and coming in, warning the Republican president of the United States, don't touch the intelligence community because they will get you. He's admitting that these have become states within a state. Yeah. He's admitting that they they exceed constitutional authority. So he's given up. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. He's showing that he's uh, he's just not going to do anything about it. So then you and, become their tool. And the American people suffer for it. Yeah. And we're going to suffer more for it. And I think just to my, my opinion isn't worth much, but it's my opinion. And that is that, you know, we see Trump elected. Uh, I, I still think or I think we're going to see more violence. And I think if Trump is not elective, I wonder if that's not the catalyst for violence coming from our side for really the first time. They like to paint us as violent, but as we've seen over the past few years, it's not us that, that are violent. It's, it's their side that's violent. Um, but it's almost to the point where, you know, I, I'm saying eventually you know, within three to four years, we could find ourselves in you know, the beginning of a, of a civil war from the violence standpoint. I think the civil war has already started from the you know, the societal standpoint, as you were discussing. Do you think it gets violence, violent, or, or where do you see the options leading us that would take us away from that, that possibility? Well, you look at social trends, and the more a country's civil society gets polarized, the more people cannot talk to each other, can't relate with one another. When there's a two-tiered system of justice, when some people of certain political views can get away with things, even if they're investigated, they're still not prosecuted. Right. And even if they're prosecuted, they're just slapped on the wrist. Whether it's a lowlife like an Antifa protester in the streets, or whether it's a senior, senior person like a Hillary Clinton or Hunter Biden, or anyone associated with them. When when you, when you see that the judicial system is is prejudicial to certain people and favorable to others, then you think, well, where, where's the justice? Where is our where right. did the Constitution go? Where, what when we see Ray one? Epps get six months probation 
while he's on camera saying, we've got to go into the Capitol, we've got to go into the Capitol, and you see Jake Lang, who's tried to save two people's life, lives that day, who still hasn't had a trial after more than three years in prison. Yeah. Um, and they don't really care about that. I mean, they don't care. They know we know, and they don't care we know. Right? I mean, it's just, that's the fact of it. They're yeah. not hiding it. No, They're the not issue hiding. is not the issue. The issue is the revolution. But it's always yeah, they're just right. using whatever they can. So what they what they will do is they will try to provoke well-meaning patriotic people to do something stupid, to do something right. extreme, mm-hmm. and to make sure it's all captured on video. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you that look gives at them the narrative they want to put us in in Hillary's camps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. oh no, they, these people. Look at the profile of these people. Look at the what they believe in. Look at what the the the, the uh, what they have in their homes. Look at the certain amendments that they favor. See, they're all violent, subversive people. We have to defend society mm-hmm. against them. And all right. in the name of protection and insecurity, you know, they'll smother all of us in protection and security. But what they they will purposely leave people with no recourse. And it's to some people's advantage. It's not to the average FBI agent doesn't view it this way. The average FBI agents, I know people, a lot of people hate to hear this, but they're just doing their jobs. Now, just doing their jobs might mean that they're still a good person. They're just trying to do their jobs. But when just doing your job becomes just following orders. That sounds familiar, crossed, too. Yeah, they've crossed the line from good person stuck in a bureaucracy that's gone bad to a person who is now part of the problem. Yeah. I think we heard that excuse in Nuremberg a few few thousand times. Yeah. Um, so we are out of time already, but I want to make sure to plug the book, uh, Big Intel, How the CIA and FBI Went from Cold War Heroes to Deep State Villains. It's available on Amazon, and you said Costco uh, as well, correct? And, correct. Um, so check out the book. It's uh, number one new release. Congratulations on that. And um, I look forward to having you back on sometime because it's a fascinating topic and there's so much there's so much to it so but you're obviously extremely knowledgeable and i thank you again for coming on i want to make sure that you get a chance here to direct people to uh, where they might find you and and uh, anything else you'd like to share sure we're online at securefreedom.org and i'm on twitter at j michael waller awesome thank you so much mike i'll have you back and um, God bless you for the work you do. Stay safe, and um, let's let's go let's go to work and save our country here. Let's Appreciate do. It. We can do it. Thanks, Jim. Great interview. Great guy. I really enjoyed that. I hope you did too. There is so much more to talk about, and we just barely scratched the surface of that. So I'm sure we'll have him back and get in get more in depth on some of these topics, and also talk about. Uh, what we can do and how our sheriffs play a key role in what we can do. And um, so that that is something to look forward to in the future. I want to tell you, too, and remind you that if you go to franksocial.com, I have a group on there called Operation Restore in 24. I still need some volunteers to write some letters. So you're going to write the, the, the text, cut and paste text, uh, about specific issues that... America First Patriots care about and to be used as a template for citizens out there to to use to write to their representatives. So it'd be really nice to have some people help me with that and uh, a worthwhile project to increase the number of contact contacts with our representatives. And um, 
if you go to the go to franksocial.com and you look for me, you can follow me and you can join the group. And um, hopefully you do and you have some letters to share. That would be awesome. Want to do that before the election so we have uh, our, our voices raised up about the issues that matter to us most. And as we discussed in this episode, don't do anything stupid or foolish. Don't let them push you into violence. There is still time to do this all the right way and you would be playing into their hands and uh, that would give them the excuse they need to really start taking our rights away so um that time is is not is not uh it's not so bleak yet that we're at that point and hopefully we never get there all right that's a wrap for today thank you so much for being with me i'll see you tomorrow have you ever wondered what it's like to be a january 6th political prisoner rotting away in horrible conditions January 6th Patriots are subject to cruel and unusual punishment every day and kept imprisoned for nearly three years without trial. These American heroes have to survive inhumane conditions where they lack basic food nutrients, clothing, and hygiene. Joe Biden's corrupt Department of Justice and FBI Gestapo has been making sure the families of these brave Patriots are suffering as well. The breadwinner has been ripped out of the home and these young families are being extorted thousands of dollars a year to keep up with commissary costs for their J6 prisoner. Many families have been completely devastated, missed mortgage payments and kicked out of their homes, and even the family car repossessed. The ongoing battle these families face to stay afloat and support their loved ones in prison is in desperate need of our help. You can now sponsor a January 6th family to help support them in their greatest time of need. SponsorJ6.com is a new organization started by January 6th political prisoner for 965 days, Jake Lang, ensuring 100% of funds made go to Patriots Commissary accounts. By becoming a sponsor of a J6 family, you can ensure one of the nearly 200 currently incarcerated J6 prisoners is properly clothed and fed. Sign up today to give the vital help these families need and make a real impact in the lives of our POWs. Head to SponsorJ6.com and support our Patriots.